This program is pre-recorded. Well, let me tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. That's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We're back again. It's Friday, and well... Another thrilling week comes to a uh, an abrupt, an abrupt end. Uh, once again, though, thanks so much. I'm still, I'm just still thinking about the, the wonderful pledge drive. So God bless you for your generosity. All right, let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle them in the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit; they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, let us open the big book on the coffee table. You know the one I'm talking about. The Bible. We are, again, in the book of Revelation, a book that even Father Martin Luther, yeah, he was a Catholic priest, you know. Father Martin Luther said, uh, can make you crazy. Um, I, John, heard a voice from heaven speak to me. This is Revelations chapter 10, verse 8. And the voice said to me, go take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and the land. Um, I'm not quite sure what that means. Uh, the scroll, I can talk about the scroll, but, uh, the, the, why is he standing on the sea and the land? Uh, I think that, that, um, what this is about is an angel who is, has, uh, you know, angel, again, let, let's talk about angels a little bit. The word angel just means messenger. That's that's what the word means in Greek. And in Hebrew, the word is malach, which means messenger. These are messengers, and people get all excited about angels, and they should. I mean, I think it is a very laudable practice to ask, to pray to one's guardian angel. Uh, it's an ancient custom, and I think it's a very consoling thing to think that we are not alone in this struggle. The purpose of the angels is not to protect us so much as to protect our salvation, to get us to heaven. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, they they are vigilant. I saw a wonderful clip of a, a car about to plow into a Franciscan. The Franciscan didn't even notice it because the car literally flew over... Uh, the the car that was coming out of control from the side flew 
over the Franciscan's car. Now, there was a signpost that it hit that probably was the physical cause of its flying, but it sure did look miraculous. And, of course, uh, uh, the Franciscan priest uh, attributed it to his guardian angel, which I think is appropriate. But uh, angels, angels are most concerned with our eternal salvation, that the fruit not be plucked from the tree too early or too late. Uh, um, so uh, that said, um, angels have this protecting uh, vocation. Uh, part of the message that they bring us is that that God is that God has His eye on us, and and we live under the protection of God. So uh, this 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 idea of the angel. So he's an angel who has uh, uh, a responsibility. I think we can say uh, for both the sea and the land. So I went up to the angel and told him to give me the small scroll. He said, "Take and swallow it. It will make your stomach sour." This is is a reference to the book of Ezekiel. Let me, I, I of course pulled that up and of course have since erased it. But much that we see in the book of Revelation, we find in the book of Ezekiel. Uh, what's going on there? Well, remember the scriptures. What are the scriptures there for? Oh, good grief. Boy, am I off the topic now. Let me look at the clock so I make sure I... I don't get too far gone. Um, in the early days of the church, there were lots of sources of revelation. You had the wandering, uh, the wandering apostles and and prophets, kind of charismatic uh, traveling ministries, and uh, some of them were were definitely from the Lord, and some of them, well, were not. You know. Thus says the Lord, give me all your money. Fascinating. You can read the Didache, D-I-D-A-C-H-E, The Teaching of the Twelve Apostles. It's a book that some scholars think it goes back as far as the 50s. Uh, the first, in other words, it's older than some books of Scripture. The general consensus is from 90 to 100 A.D., basically, around there. But it, it has interesting things like what to do when a prophet comes to town. I mean, that's very useful. If he says, give me your money, he's a false prophet, throw him out. If he's going to be with you for more than three days, find him a job. If he won't work, he's a false prophet, throw him out. If he's there for three days and doesn't prophesy, well, false prophet, throw him out. But uh, the prophets were very important in the in the Didache. So uh, uh, um, uh, there were the wandering prophets, and then there were the collections of the sayings of Jesus, uh, some of which we still have, uh, and, and they may be genuine. Uh, for instance, we see in the Acts of the Apostles when when uh, Paul is leaving the disciples, uh, the, the fellow believers at Miletus, he says, as, as Jesus taught us, there's more happiness in giving than in receiving. That's not in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. That's one of the sayings of Jesus. And... Um, a noteworthy scholar who wrote The Search for the Historical Jesus and the Historical Muhammad, a series of lectures, uh, uh, Dr. Peters from New York University. I don't think he's a traditional, uh, you know, a very old, very conservative Christian. I don't know what his religious background is, but he, he makes the point that the sayings of Jesus would have been written down quite possibly during his life. Uh, 
they did that with rabbis. They wrote down what the rabbi was saying. And it would have been written in Greek because uh, a large part of the Holy Land spoke Greek. And I can imagine the, I don't know that Peter says this, but I can imagine uh, Jesus' hearers writing down his sayings in Greek to communicate them to the people who didn't understand what he was saying in Aramaic. That's possible. Uh, so, so there were these collections of the sayings of Jesus. Well, they kind of got corrupted after a, a century. You know, some of them like, well, as Jesus said, grab for all the gusto you can get. I don't think Jesus said that. You know, maybe, maybe you're you're adding a saying. But there are some extant sayings of Jesus that that are not. We don't consider them inspired by the Holy Spirit. Uh, of course, the one in Acts is. But so there are all these different sources of revelation and. Uh, the bishop said, what are we going to do? Some of these uh, wandering prophets are taking people for a ride, and some of the sayings of Jesus he didn't say. I know. We'll get an approved reading list, a canon of, of writings. The word canon means a measuring rod. And its purpose will be so that you can measure what you think the Lord is telling you against something that is clearly uh, a word from the Lord. So that's what we have. We have the canon of writings. People talk about the Bible. That word just means the books. Well, the, this canon of writings is exists so that you can hold your uh, what you think God is saying to you up against the scriptures. And so there are types of literature in the scriptures. We have we have types of law, types of history, types of poetry, and we have types of prophecy. In the Old Testament canon, there are prophetic books. There are a lot more prophetic books than we have in the Old Testament canon, but we have examples that are trustworthy. In the New Testament, there were lots of prophetic books. The Shepherd of Hermas, the, the Epistle of Barnabas, all these books. Well, But they put in just one good example of a, 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 a prophetic book, the Book of Revelation. And in it, uh, uh, we read this text about the scroll. And let me read it again. Uh, where did I put it? It's here somewhere. Uh, so I went up to the angel and told him to give me the small scroll. He said to me, take and swallow it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will taste as sweet as honey. Well, let us look now at the book of Revelation, or the book of Ezekiel. Um, Ezekiel 3.3. 3. Or, uh, son of man, he said to me, eat and fill your stomach with this scroll I'm giving you. So I ate it. It was as sweet as honey in my mouth. Uh, Ezekiel 3.1, before he says, eat, eat what you find here, and then go speak to the house of Is Israel. So this is reflected in the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, in a sense, echoes the, the uh, book of Ezekiel and talking about the temple. Um, the dimensions of the temple, that sort of thing, that's reflected in the book of Revelation. In, in a sense, the book of Revelation is the fulfillment of the book of Ezekiel. So read the book of Ezekiel. It's in, interesting. So well, let's just look at this. Um, very often when we come to Christ, it's all milk and honey. It is wonderful. There's a joy. But then I remember a priest who was baptized in the Holy Spirit who, who uh, called me uh, um, and said, I, I, I just really uh, am amazed at how strongly one can feel the presence of God. 
I said, yeah. I said, but can you also feel the presence of the enemy? And I said, oh, that's kind of one of the drawbacks. He'd been given a gift of, of the discernment of spirits. So um, it's all nice uh, until you really get into it. And then so many people, that's the point at which they fall away. I thought this was all going to be just fun. Oh, it'll be a lot of fun. But you're called to a spiritual warfare. It's not against flesh and blood we war, says St. Paul in the letter to the Ephesians, but against powers and principalities. So so the prophetic gift that we're given as Christians, and all of us, in a sense, St. Paul says, I wish you all spoke in tongues. I wish all the more that you would prophesy. Uh, we're all called to be prophets, uh, uh, not necessarily uh, as an exclusive ministry, but but God speaks, wants to speak to all of us prophetically. Uh, uh, but uh, you got to understand that the experience might be delightful, but then then we get into the the warfare. Jesus is on the Mount of the Transfiguration. Then they come down, and the disciples say, "We're trying to cast out a demon. We couldn't." Uh, so, you know, the, this is kind of a biblical principle here that uh, when we receive the word, it tastes as sweet as honey in the mouth. But after we swallowed it and it's become part of us, you know, I, I remember another person very dear to me uh, who, uh, uh, well, I might as well tell the story. Uh, one of my teachers um, who was uh, raised uh, as a Pentecostal and uh, left her faith because uh, the man who she eventually married, a wonderful man, was was not uh, uh, a believer. And uh, um, so uh, I remember mentioning my involvement in things Pentecostal uh, in, a, in a paper I had to write. And uh, I thought, oh, dear, I, she's going to hang me. I know she's not a believer. And, and so I was going to erase it. And then I thought, I can't. So I just left it in and thought, well, whatever happens. Well, Circo was circled, said, see me in my office. And I thought, this is going to be interesting. Well, she told me about her childhood, her youth, in which she had been raised in the faith. And this was the most wonderful time possible. Uh, but uh, uh, she'd left it. And, and so uh, uh, I said, let's pray. She said, oh, I couldn't. Well, I started praying. And, well, the Holy Spirit fell on her. And, well, <laughs> her husband was not happy, but then he accepted the faith. Uh, so, you know, that, that this, this idea of, of the sweetness of the first conversion, uh, but then, then it becomes, you realize you're, you're in a warfare. She, she had left the faith, uh, uh, but then the Lord brought her back very powerfully. Um, you persist in the faith, even when it, it, it it, it's difficult. You look at people like Mother Teresa and uh, the world saying she had no faith because she didn't feel all happy about it. Well, this, you know, this wonderful gift of God sometimes turns sour in the stomach. And well, why would God do that? So that we can walk for him. In other words, as I, I said yesterday, difficulties come into our life so that we can love God and not just love what he gives. I don't know if that makes sense, but, well, <laughs> that's life as the saying goes. All right, let's see. Let's look at the gospel here. Um, all right. Um, Jesus entered the temple area and proceeded to drive out those who were selling things, saying to them, 
my house shall be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. <laughs> this is this is interesting. This is just um, sometimes we become enamored of the external show of the faith and not of the substance. St. John Vianney, he lived in squalor. He received a lot of wonderful furniture from the lady who had the house on the hill, and she sent most of it back. He kept uh, a bed, a, a table, and a chair. That's all he needed. And, oh, she was incensed just about this. Uh, I think he might have kept a bookshelf because he did have a lot of books. But in the church, he bought the most sumptuous. This is a little town in France that's no, you know, 10 miles east of nowhere at all. And he bought uh, the most sumptuous vestments. He worked hard on beautifying the church. Um, his diet was basically a potato a day. He'd cook a bunch of potatoes, and then toward the end of the week, when mold they got moldy, he'd just scrape the mold off. But the best, nothing but the best for God. You know, sometimes we want nothing but the best for us. I remember once I was at an installation of some bishop or some grand event, and they had not one but two, count them, two choirs, one in front and one in back. And... <clears throat> The, the guy who had arranged this whole thing ran up to him and said, what did you think of the music? I think I actually said this to him. I said, I thought it was wonderful. I hope God enjoyed it. We lose the perspective that this is for the honor of God. This is for the glory of God. And, and we think it's just art for the sake of art. And it's not. And when we lose that, it ceases to be pleasing to God. The, the temple was the most beautiful building in the ancient world. Tourists came from far and near to see this gorgeous, gorgeous building. Uh, Herod the Great, you know, the, the temple w was destroyed about 600 years before Christ by the Babylonians. The, uh, the uh, Jews came back from exile in Babylon, and that's when they really are appropriately called Jews. They're Judeans, and that's when really they got their start as a, as a distinctive group. They rebuilt the temple on the old foundations, but it was just shoddy. People, uh, the scriptures say that old, old men who'd remembered the glory of the temple of Solomon from their youth wept, uh, not for joy, but because this was such a, uh, a pale copy of that glorious temple. Well, the temple sufficed until Herod the Great, about 50 years before Christ. And Herod the Great decided he was going to rebuild the temple to prove he was Jewish. And um, the temple he built, you know, the, the, the old temple was on a platform on top of Mount Moriah, and it was not that large. He expanded, I think it's, is it 10 football fields? I mean, this huge platform, and then this unbelievable building that was built from the inside out. Uh, the worship never stopped. Uh Priests and Levites were trained as, as carpenters and stonemasons to build this uh, so that they were the ones who built the inner part so that they weren't profaned by profane workmen. And this building was, uh, it had municipal buildings at the far south. It was an incredible building. It was about 12 or 13 stories high. Uh, and the front of it was plated, Josephus tells us, with gold that was polished so brightly that it hurt to look at it in the morning sun. People came from all over the world to see this building. And and you couldn't get in past, there was a low wall that separated uh, 
the 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 outer courts from the inner courts. It was about the size of a communion rail, and on it were posted signs. If anyone, essentially, they said, if anyone isn't a Jew, you could pass this sign. We won't be responsible for what happens. They would literally rip them limb from limb uh, uh, if a non if a non Jew went past this this low railing into into the inner precincts. So people would come to worship, and they thought the Jewish religion was wonderful. One God who made sense, unlike the the gods of the pagans, a beautiful moral code, some odd things about not eating pork and circumcision and that stuff. But other than that, it was great. And they could only get so close to God. And there was there was a place where they were selling certified kosher animals. And a certified kosher animal, the price was jacked up. You know, you brought your two turtle doves, your poor man from the country, you scrimped and saved to get two turtle doves to bring to buy your firstborn son back from the Lord. <clears throat> I can't offer this to God, the priest would say. Look, it's got a bent wing and there's a feather, there's a stain, there's a problem with the feathers. But it's the eight. Where am I going to get a certified kosher animal at this point? The bazaars of Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, certified kosher animals, and of course, they cost ten times in the bazaars of Annas what they would have cost at home. Might cost a couple days' uh, wages for a poor man to get a couple turtle doves. It costs two weeks' wages, I've read, to get a pair of turtle doves from the certified bazaars of Annas. And even the Talmud talks about how evil Annas was. They were robbing people coming and going in this. It was all about the fundraising drive. Thank you, by the way, for that generous <laughs> fundraising drive we had. But, but this was this money went to to Annas and his family. It didn't go to the glory of God. And so often we get so concentrated in the in the externals that that the externals are very important. The Kiryavars was right to buy the best vestments for the glory of God, but they were for the glory of God. He lived in simplicity and poverty, whereas so often we, we, we expand the business of religion and we forget that it is the faith that we're, we're trying to spread and cherish and, 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 uh, uh um, well, and, and care for. So that said, uh, we need, this is a biblical principle, never make the house of God a den of thieves. And it can be done without even noticing it. All right, let us move on. We're going to take a break. We will come back with some letters and the word of the day. We receive hundreds of your phone calls every day, thanks to the Catholic Order of Foresters studio line. Our sponsor offers flexible life insurance and annuities. Visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester today. An Illinois Life Insurance Society not available in all states. People get ready as a train a coming. You don't need no baggage. You just get on board. All you need is faith to hear the dealer's heart. Well, we're back, and I, I, I need to mention, again, I'm doing a, uh, a letter show. I'm not doing calls. I'm catching up on my letters, and uh, so we won't open the phones today because I got lots and lots of letters. But that said, let us go to lots and lots of letters. Okay, here's one. Oh, good grief. My computer just showed me something I didn't know. I didn't know from. All right. 
Let's see here. This is from Jason. Um, And this is a problem here. Uh, In the Transfiguration, Matthew 17, uh, 3, Moses and Elijah appeared to Jesus. Where had they been all the while? They were in heaven, right? Jesus had no one to been to heaven except himself. And then uh, uh, where were they? Uh, 2 Kings 2.11, as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. How did Elijah go to heaven if Jesus was the only one who'd been to heaven? In Luke twenty-two thirty-nine to 43, Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. How could that be? Jason, Jason, be calm. Um, you realize, again, maybe this is a dodge on my part, but I'm always telling people that, that for God, all places are here, all times are now. Where were they? The same exact place that you and I are in the mind of God. Uh, the Jews had a wonderful belief, have a wonderful belief. Still, the rabbis say that, that when God created, he didn't just create, he creates and sustains. In other words, I have a name that's known to God alone. Book of Revelations talks about it. And I'll know, I'll know my real name when I stand before God, that God speaks my name. And, If he were to stop speaking my name, I would stop existing. In other words, God didn't simply create. He sustains everything in existence by speaking it. That's that's uh, an idea among among uh, certain of, of the rabbis. I think it's a beautiful idea. By his word, all things are are made. So so where am I right now? To all visible appearances, I'm sitting here at my desk in front of a couple of few. Well, I'm looking at three computers at the moment. But where I really am is in the mind of God. For God, all moments are now. So uh, there's a, a wonderful uh, BBC uh, uh, presentation of the book, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And there's something called the, uh, the, the Cafe at the End of the Universe. And it, 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 I love it because it sort of points out the time is not what we think it is. And that's good physics. For God, all moments are now. So where are Moses and Elijah? Where are these people? We're looking at time as we think of it in the world. Even in physics, time is not consistent. Time speeds up, time slows down. And what happens in, I think, when we die is we... We go to that cafe at the end of the universe in a certain sense. We go to the judgment. Uh, I don't think the particular and the final judgment are separated in time because at that point there is no time, certainly no time the way we perceive it. So this problem, we're looking at this whole thing like it's got to be absolutely sequential and and A, B, C, D, E. No way. It, it doesn't work that way. Um, that that. Uh, Moses and Elijah and the good thief and you and me, we are all in the mind of God and he speaks us into existence. I hope that's the way I look at it. And the scriptures describe these things in a temporal way because it's all we can, it's all we can handle. 
because at this point we're we're extremely limited in our ability to see these things. So I hope that helps a little. Okay, let's see here. Okay. Okay, hold on. Oh, there's there's the mouse. I, with this computer, the mouse is easy to find. Okay, now, and okay, let's see here. Okay, this is from Becca. She got a, a, a penance, but she says, Father, I understand and pray the rosary every day, but as a convert, I've missed a few of the inner points of the faith. So if... I'm told to pray a decade for penance. Do I start from the beginning and include the creed and the first Our Father and the Hail Marys? And no, no, if the priest says, not for your penance, say a decade of the rosary. That's an Our Father, ten Hail Marys, a glory be, and gratuitously I throw in the prayer, O Jesus, forgive us our sins. But a decade of the rosary is one Our Father, ten Hail Marys, and one glory be to the Father. And, well, what mystery should should I contemplate? Well, you can contemplate any mystery of the rosary you like, uh, uh, but that isn't even necessary for it. To, to, to comply with the penance, as I understand it, Our Father, Ten Hail Marys, and a Glory Be. That's, you know, you can do a lot more, but that's that's your minimum basic daily requirement for penance that is, what, decade of the rosary? At least I think so. And if I'm wrong on the last day, blame me. God will uh, uh, honor your good intention. All right. Uh, I, this is a lovely letter from Christine. Out a sweet memory brought up by Father Simon. That is a little lunch. This nice custom extends to northern New Hampshire. The family is of Canadian uh, uh, descent. My father had 11 brothers and sisters, and our home was graced with relatives most Sundays. After Mass, there was always a delicious dinner of roast pork, beef, or lamb. Entertainment was card playing uh, with laughter uh, and the serious win of pennies and nickels. However long they played, no one left until after a little lunch. <laughs> I think that's wonderful. I thank God for the gift of hospitality and the service that I learned from my parents. Uh, Oh, God bless you. And thank you, Nick. She says, I like your interspersed comments. Peace from Christine. Yeah, I, I just a refresher. There was a word uh, uh, that Jesus said, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite those who can repay you, but invite the poor. Um, and the word I looked, I thought, what is lunch in Greek? And I looked at the word Ariston and I looked it up. It means a meal that is not pegged to a specific time of the day. And I thought, that's exactly what rural Minnesotans mean by a little lunch. You know, you got breakfast and then you got dinner and then you got supper. And then at two in the morning, if you're peckish, well, you might have a little lunch. Uh, it's, it's, it's a farm thing because, well, they need the calories. I wish I did. All right, moving along. Let's see here. What, what are we doing? Oh, we got plenty of time for more letters. Okay. All right. Now, this is an interesting one. This is an interesting one. I am from the United States, but I've been working in Canada. This is from David for the past few weeks. All Saints Day is not a day of obligation in Canada. I was unsure whether I had an obligation to go to Mass. I did attend a morning Mass because that is what I'm used to doing when I'm at home. Do I follow the guidelines of the bishop of my own diocese back home or in the diocese in which I am, I am temporarily residing? When I offer Mass in a diocese uh, other than my own, uh, I always I pray for my own bishops, but the bishop who is mentioned in the canon 
of the Mass is the bishop of the place. And by extension, you would obey the bishop of the place in which you find yourself. You're under his jurisdiction. Uh, as far as I know, if I'm wrong about that, I would like to be corrected, but I'm, I'm pretty sure about that. It's the bishop um, uh, in whose diocesan territory you are residing. And people kind of worry about that. Well, why are the holy days of obligation different in different places? Well, there are uh, there's certain holy days that are are um, um, universal. I'm I'm trying to think which ones those are. You got you got uh, uh, Christmas is a universal holy day. What is the uh, voice of my head? Do you know the other universal holy days? I know Christmas is, and uh, I think the Immaculate Conception is. Uh, let's see. Um, I'm not sure if that's, uh, um, uh, uh, let's see here. Hold, let me look. I think I, I, I think I've got a, um, a source here. Okay. All right. Let's see here. The following days must be observed. The nativity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, those are feasts that have to be observed, but they aren't necessarily holy days. Um, oh dear. I've, I, I'm embarrassed to say I've only paid attention to the ones in the United States, but they're they're subject to the the local bishops' conferences, and there's some which are are optional, and some which are not. Um, the the um, uh, oh gosh, if I can get that list, uh, let's see. Nope, I can't I can't find the list of of the ones that that are universal. Uh, but I know Christmas is one of them, and I think the Immaculate Conception is universal, and um, uh, a couple others. Let's see here. All holy days of obligation. Now, this is the Code of Canon Law. Uh, no, that's Slovakia. That's different. Let's see here. No, I, I can't find it. Uh, but uh, you obey the bishop in the place where you find yourself. Uh, so there, that's as close as I can get to it, uh, David. Boy, and he calls himself the Reverend Know-It-All. What a joke. Well, yes, it is a joke, come to think of it. Okay, let's see here. Um, okay, meditating on, this is from uh, Therese from Corpus Christi. Meditating on the sorrowful mysteries, it occurred to me that Jesus took on all the punishment that we sinners rightly deserve. I also consider Simon of Cyrene as a type of Christ as he helps carry the cross just as Jesus helps us carry our crosses. Am I right on the right track? Yes, I, I think you are. That that um, uh, Simon of Cyrene is an interesting character because he's mentioned elsewhere in the scriptures uh, uh, obliquely that, that uh, his sons were rather prominent in the early church. So it's reasonable to think that the carrying of the cross by Simon was a moment of conversion. And uh, everyone is supposed to be a type of Christ. That's why we're called Christians. The word uh, Christianos uh, means, in a sense, it means uh, an adherent of the Messiah, a little, it means a little Messiah in a, in a sense. Uh, we're, we're types for Christ, all of us. We're Christ in the world. And, and so certainly Simon of Cyrene and his carrying of the cross was a type for Christ. That, that word type uh, in, 
in Greek means a um, uh, like almost like the word type in in uh, uh, in, uh, in, in printing that that you got a typesetter. He sets the type, uh, the the imprinted character. So yeah, I think that that's a good insight, uh, Therese, That that in our in our sufferings we imitate Christ. Never forget that that powerful text in the scriptures. In my flesh I make up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ. Let me see if I can find that because people don't take that seriously. Uh, my flesh, I make up. I'm finding it here. All right. Um, Colossians 12:4. In my flesh, I fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ on behalf of his body. Colossians 1:24. What could possibly be lacking in the sufferings of Christ? Only my participation. You see, Jesus said, what I have done and greater still will you do. He wants us to participate in his work of salvation and redemption. I'm never going to be the Savior, the Redeemer. But in union with Christ, I, I fulfill that function. I think that's a very important thing. So, well, thanks for that, that uh, uh, question. I think it's a very good one. Uh, we, we become types of Christ in the world. And uh, perhaps you've heard me say it, that you may be the only Bible that someone ever reads. So make sure that you imitate Christ in your kindness, your charity, and and your your uh, sincerity. Um, we often think that this gospel thing is just, you know, oh, Lord, what have you done for me lately? No, no, no. We're, as St. Paul says elsewhere, we are the slaves of God. All right, we are going to go to a break. We will come back with the word of the day, and I think we'll have time for a few more letters. Today, we'd like to thank Domingo, who's listening in California, for donating his BMW. Join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles by visiting relevantradio.com slash car today. I'm working on the building. It's a true foundation. I'm lifting up a blood stain. Bound for the Lord. Welcome back. Uh, you know what time it is. It's time for the word of the day. Uh, this may be a silly word, but I, I just, I saw it in the text and I thought, what is that word in Greek? <laughs> so, I mean, don't we ask ourselves that question all the time? In Luke, the gospel, 19th uh, verse, uh, <laughs> the voice of my said, surprisingly, no. <laughs> That's what I, I ask myself that constantly. What would this be in Greek? Luke, the 19th chapter. Uh, you know, everybody should learn a little Greek. I always say it's not that hard. Every three-year-old in Athens spoke it. Okay, Luke, the 19th chapter. I think this would be the 46th verse. My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. What is a den? I mean, we think of a den. You know, the den is the room where the television is. And and it's a room that, well, is not always necessarily cleaned up at the end of the day. Because, well, dad's been in it being a bit of a couch potato and well it can wait till tomorrow it's not the room in which you necessarily entertain <laughs> the uh in chicago oh this has nothing to do with anything but it's fun in chicago chicagoans we have our own dialect and we talk about the front room the front room the front room 
The French room. Everybody, people actually think, oh, that's the French room. No, it's the front room, French room. That's when, when guests come, you sit in the front room, and that's the only time you sit in the French room. My brother had a lovely French room, and uh, every Thanksgiving we would go sit in it for five minutes and then go back to the den. So the, uh, yeah, the, the, uh, it, so what's the word for den? It's spelion. You heard of a spelunker? That's someone who, who who explores caves it's a cave you have made it that's a house you know uh this is this is a gorge i just told you about the temple that it had it was 10 stories plus of gold plate in the front supposedly i mean and they had a, a grapevine around the door with with uh, uh gold solid gold grapes that were the size of grapefruits I mean, this was an incredible building, and Jesus is calling it a cave. I think that that's really, really something. He said, this this isn't a gorgeous building. This is nothing but a cave. So um, that's the word in the text. It isn't It isn't a knotty pine uh, rumpus room. No, it's a cave, a dirty, filthy cave full of bats and what bats leave behind. So with that thought, let us go back to a few letters, all right? Let's see here. Okay. All right. Uh, this is somebody who, oh, I, 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 I read that one. Let's see here. Let me, okay. Okay. Let's see here. All right. This is from uh, Jordan in uh, Minneapolis, or rather St. Paul. Yesterday during Mass, I was thinking about the word liturgy. For example, there are liturgies of the word, liturgies of the Eucharist, liturgy of the hours. Does it have anything to do with the word litany? No, not that I know of. Um, well, let me let me let me think about that. The word liturgy is is a Greek word, of course, as everything in our religion essentially is. Um, the the word liturgy means the work of the people, and uh, it, it, but that's in the Greek context. That's that's much more. Oh, it, it's it's much more. Well, it's different. Uh, it means when we say the work of the people, we think in English, well, it's something people do. No, it's not something people do. It's the obligation of the community. Uh, that's that's what a liturgy was in Greek. And it was usually a public performance of a sacred drama. The sacred drama, um, they would have these wonderful poetic cycles, like like uh, uh, Oreste, the, the Oresteia would have been performed in liturgy. And very interestingly, that for these these dramas about the 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 founding myths of of community its relationship to the gods they would wear masks to be an actor in an ancient uh, drama especially liturgical drama uh you could you had to have a beautiful body and a beautiful voice you have the uh, a face like the backside of a mud fence because no one saw your face you wore these masks in which there were these these megaphones uh so that you could reach the cheap seats but you you entered into the person of 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 the story and this was a, a matter of public worship and the community was obliged at certain times to provide this service that's a liturgy 
and it was the work of the people. What people? When when we hear that in in English, modern English, well, we can do what we please. This is our thing, you know. Uh, we can change the words. We can, no, no, no. It belongs. The liturgy is is that that obligation of the whole people of God. In other words, the people of God, the Catholic Church. You've heard me say. The word Catholic means universal. The Catholic Church is universal throughout space and time. In other words, if I cut myself off from what the apostles Peter and Paul did, if I cut myself off from the medieval church, if I cut myself off from the church of the 25th century, unless Christ comes soon, I'm not truly universal. I'm not truly Catholic. You know, that that we can't divorce ourselves from the tradition. The tradition restates itself in 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 a language understandable to the world in which it, it it exists that's always happened and i'm not talking about going from latin to english or english to latin but but the liturgy uses the the vocabulary of a certain people but it never is divorced from what went before so it's the work of the people what people the people of god throughout time and space that's what liturgy is well litany actually comes from uh uh, the Greek word uh, lite, which means prayer, uh, the the L I T in, in in liturgy comes from well, you know I'm wondering I'm wondering I'd always thought it was the uh, I'm I'm quite sure it comes from Laos, which means the people. Let me let me just look that up just to make sure I'm I'm not whistling Dixon. Lite means prayer. Uh, um, it. it uh, I think it can even mean a magical incantation. Uh, hmm. Okay, hold on. I, I'm sorry to do this, but once again, lost time. Oh, dear. Liturgy. Uh, well, well, we don't need the elevator music. I'm there. All right. Okay. Liturgy. Liturgy. Uh, mm, I'm, oh, dear. Oh, dear. Hold on, I'm I'm clicking away. I I I, I mean I this is what I was taught, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering. Uh, uh, no, it is work of the people. It's from Laos, liturgia. Uh, uh, La, yeah, it's work of the people. So they told me the truth in seminary. But you got to understand, it's the people of God. It's not just the work of our little community of people who like things Danish modern. So uh, I hope that helps. But but the word litany comes from repeated prayer, litania. Okay, now, so let me go to another letter here. But that's an excellent question. Okay, okay. Our pastor has placed a kneeler in the center aisle for those who like to kneel and receive the Eucharist on the tongue while kneeling. Is the procedure for us to bow, kneel, say amen, or just kneel and say amen and receive? Some of us need a refresher. The the posture for receiving communion in the United States as, as mandated by the, um, uh, as I understand it, by the uh, United States Conference of Catholic Bishops is standing and in the hand. However, the right to receive communion on the tongue and the right to receive communion while kneeling, you can receive it while standing on the tongue <laughs> that doesn't sound right. You can receive it on the tongue while standing. You can receive it on the tongue while kneeling. You can receive it in the hand while standing. You can receive it in the hand while kneeling. 
it's it's uh, you, not you can, but you may. Um, Though the the position that's mandated is, I believe, standing and uh, um, uh, in the hand. And the COVID restrictions uh, of the past made it a little more emphatic, but uh, I think in most places those have been lifted. Um, uh, that's, that's the best. Um, I am so happy this option is being given. As he told us, the Eucharist was found in the bathroom last month. Now, to move on to another topic, I have found the Blessed Sacrament in the darndest places. And the Eucharist, look up the Eucharistic miracle of Buenos Aires. You'll be interested. The bishop who certified it was, was a certain Jorge Bergoglio. He asked an atheist doctor to look it up. That atheist is now a devout Catholic. But um, it's a host visibly turned to the flesh. Uh, to flesh and blood after it had been profaned. Uh, yeah, I find people, you know, uh, I think we may need to revisit this. Uh, when I was young, people knew what the Eucharist was and they had a great respect and reverence for it. And so receiving while standing in the hand, there was still great reverence. You bowed, you're supposed to bow, received the communion in the hand, held as if a throne, the early church father said, and move to the side and consume it reverently. Now, of course, kids run up, grab it, grab the lucky chip and run back to their pew. And sometimes they just drop it or throw it away because they don't want it because it doesn't taste like candy. Um, kids back then saw their parents receive with reverence. That was three generations ago. Three, not two, three generations ago. And reverence for the Holy Eucharist has pretty much been lost. And I really do think we need to revisit the issue. Uh, I think it is a profound thing when the um, when children see their parents kneeling and waiting. How often does a child see his parents on his knees? This is weird. What's what's all this about? Uh, and uh, uh, the the receiving in the hand was a reformation gesture that the hands of the priest weren't sacred. I, I, I do not think the hands are more sacred or less sacred than the tongue. That's not the issue. Uh, is this a, a, a refutation of the uniqueness of the presbyterate? Well, that's a different issue. But I really think that we need to reconsider the posture for communion because it is a good catechetical thing for children to see their parents kneeling and waiting. Uh, that's just my opinion. On the other hand, do what your bishop tells you to do. Obedience is pleasing to the Lord. Without obedience, the scriptures tell us in the letter of the Hebrews, it is impossible to please God. So you may think you're doing something bold and brave when you are grieving the Holy Spirit. Uh, obey your bishop because that's pleasing to God. But on the other hand, I would say it may be time to reconsider this because... Uh, People are forgetting what, what that is. I always tell people the most expensive meal you will ever eat <laughs> is at Mass. It was cost the, the price of the, the, the blood of the Son of God on Calvary. Um, well, it has been once again great fun talking to you. And um, uh, I, I just, it, again, thank you so much for your generosity. This is such a privilege. And... Uh, such a joy for me, and I, I hope you enjoy it too. But Drew's coming up, and that definitely will be enjoyable. 